Amen, amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just give you glory this morning. Lord, we worship you. You are our everything. Lord God, we love you so much. Holy Spirit, be in this place in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Faith and Victory Church. Man, it's quiet in this place. It's a whole different experience uh, preaching in a room where there's people. And some people uh, would think that a large room of people would be more difficult. But actually, the more people you have on the in the room, the more easy it becomes because you have so much interaction. So if you were to try to say something funny and you only have 10 people in the room and none of them thought it was funny, then it's going to see. I think I got a courtesy laugh just for that. That's perfect. I love it. Okay, so uh, a couple of quick announcements. The first one, if you didn't see right at the beginning of service today, Pastor Matt had a video that was talking about how we're going to be praying all through September. So in September, every single day, uh, we're going to be praying for our church and fasting and praying for our nation as well. Um, so what that looks like is, if you go to your Faith and Victory Church app, you can see that there's a tab here for FBC September Prayer. And when you click on that, you will see a list of all these different days that you can sign up to pray. And so if you sign up to pray for one of those days, you and your spouse or you by yourself or whatever, uh, the goal is to fast all day for that day that you signed up for and then be down here at the church in the parking lot at 7 p.m. to pray for an hour for whatever was what you signed up for, for the church, for the pastors, for our politicians, for the nation. Just uh, everything needs a lot of prayer right now. We are in some uh, strange times and we nearly, really need God to move in our country. So uh, go to the app. Look at that. Sign up for that. Now, there could be multiple people in the parking lot at the same time. If the day you wanted to sign up for is already full, who cares? Just do it anyway. Um, but we have signups because we want to make sure it's going to happen every single day in September. The second announcement is very exciting. We are going back to in-person services next Sunday. So what that looks like is, starting next week, next Sunday, uh, what it looks like is the 9 a.m. service is still going to be in the parking lot. Parking lot service like we've been doing this summer. But the 11 a.m. is going to be indoors right now. Now, we'll still live stream it, of course, but we'll have as many as 50 people in the building um, for that service. So also on the app, if you go on there, you can see... There's a tab that says Sunday service, Sunday, September 6th, 11 a.m. So you could click on that and you basically can like reserve your ticket. Now, of course, you don't have to pay for it, but it's a, a way to keep track of um, who's signed up. So you can go on there, see if there's spots left. There's sure to be some good spots left. Um, so get on there, fill it up. Make sure you come. Now, if their spots are gone, of course, watch it online. Um, and also, we'll have in-person services on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., like the old days, starting next week as well. So September 6th, Sunday, 11 a.m., in-person services, 9 a.m. in the parking lot, which are, of course, in-person as well, but you're outside. And then uh, Wednesday the 9th, um, 7 p.m., right here in the church, we'll have those two. And you're going to want to go in and sign up for that through the app as well. If you don't have the app, it's a free app. You can get it on um, the Play Store. And I'm sure Apple's got something for that too that I'm unaware of. 
So all you Apple users, man, it's hard if you don't have people laughing at your jokes. All right, let's get started with the actual sermon portion uh, this morning. So uh, let's pray. Lord God, I love you so much, and and I just give you glory and praise. Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning a message that your people need to hear, Lord God. And wherever their ears may be, and whatever moment this is, whether it's live or later, Lord God, wherever it is in the sound of my voice, I pray that you would speak to them uh, the correction and the reproof and the encouragement and anything that your word has for them, Lord God, so that they may grow closer to you. Um, in your holy name, Jesus, amen. The sermon this morning is called David's Last Words, and we're working out of Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 7. Let's look at it here. It's funny because Pastor Matt just texted me and he said, oh, man, it's hard when people don't laugh. So I'm not the only one. He just break the tension in the room. Okay. It's okay. Put a phone away. Ready to go. Okay. Chapter 23 verses 1 through 7 says this. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says, thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high the anointed of God, the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke to me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear uh, shining after rain. Verse 5. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of the spear and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Wow. Okay, so last week, Pastor Matt preached from chapter 22 about worshiping through the battle. That was the title of the sermon. And David sang psalms of thanksgiving um, to the Lord for delivering him from the hands of his enemies. Um, so go back and listen to that one. Um, it's called Worship Through the Battle, chapter 22. Basically, when you look through it, it's all one big uh, list of psalms and songs to the Lord. David went through a lot of things going from uh, where he began to the point he is now, um, from running from Saul, from uh, running from his enemies, from leaning on God, living in caves, to becoming king. And now in chapter 23, we're, we're at the uh, end of his reign. Um, man, we've been in First Samuel, then Second Samuel for a long, long time, and chapter 24 is the last chapter in Second Samuel. So we're coming to the end of his reign, and he's kind of reflecting back on his kingship. Now, these are not literally his last words that David ever spoke out loud, 
but more like a final public expression of what he thinks is important for others to know and remember about him. It's more like uh, when you see in those old cowboy movies where the, the one cowboy is drawn down on the other and his hands are up and he's like, you got any last words he's going to do before he shoots him and, and kills him. It's like, that's the moment. You got any last words? And th- that's the moment David has right now. His last words. If if you were going to go and you had some last words to say about what you thought was important or what you think people should remember, that's his opportunity. That's his words right now. Now, the Lord spoke to David, and now David is speaking to you, so you should listen. My first point is this. Rule your, rule your kingdom justly and fear the Lord. Second Samuel 23, 2-4. The spirit of the Lord spoke to me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. Man, you should have been here for the parking lot service this morning. It is beautiful out. This is this is the kind of weather I love. This is my favorite time of year, September. You got the crisp, cold mornings, and then you have the sun come up, and you have the nice hot sun, uh, but the temperature's kind of mild. It's still in the 70s. Beautiful mornings, and that's what kind of morning we had this morning. So I thought it was so fitting that we're in this point where David is basically saying that if you were just and... and uh, and fear the Lord, you were like, basically like a beautiful sunrise in the morning to people around you. And now when he talks about the, the, the grass shining in the morning, he is not talking about my grass at home. My grass at home is moss and weeds. And this time of year, it's just brown. So uh, on the upside, mowing weeds doesn't take as long as mowing the grass. Um, but at the church here, we have beautiful grass, gorgeous green grass you can look at. So this morning, it was really awesome to be able to see this example. David's trying to illustrate how awesome this is, and we get to see it in God's creation uh, in person. It's really amazing. So when you look here, it says, uh, you have to rule, uh, you must be just as, as you uh, rule over men. And justly means according to what is morally right or fair. And we get that standard from God's word. So there's a kind of a conflict, I think, around us, you know, sometimes as we grow up in our culture, in a variety of cultures, about what's morally right or what's, what is justice. But it's not a contradicting statement. It's not a, a back and forth statement. You can find it in the Bible. The Bible is a clear moral guide about what's just and moral and fair. The other thing that is interesting about this this situation and, and how you lead um, and what the things you're over is that fairness and equal is not the same thing. Fair and equal are not the same thing. Equal would be uh, giving everybody the same exact things at the same exact time. But that's not great because people need different things at different times. So fairness means you are giving out or doing for or saying to uh, the person, what they need at that time, what, what, what's in their situation. So when you look about leading people and you have to lead them in a particular way, you're going to lead people all differently. And so I look at, um, 
look at through this and we see when we're talking about being just and understanding justice, Proverbs 28, 5 says, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. Psalms 106, 3 said, blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. Proverbs 21, 3 says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Uh, which I think is, a, there's been, there's several times in the scriptures where God talks about the difference between making sacrifices and, uh, obedience to God. And he always favors obedience to God over your sacrifices. And I think sometimes it's easy to run around and, and make a bunch of sacrifices and do a bunch of things that we think are, uh, pleasing the Lord, but he would rather have our be- obedience. Cause honestly, a lot of times in our sacrifice, we're making sacrifice to our own glory. We want to be seen as the one who's doing all sorts of work or we, or, or we want to be able to tell ourselves, look at the great sacrifice I've made for God. Rather than obedience, which is forsake myself and my desires and just do what the Lord's calling me to do. When the Bible refers to the fear of God, it means having a deep respect or reverence and awe for God's power and authority. This leads to commitment and love, not to be scared and ashamed. This is one of probably the most misunderstood concepts, I think, in the Bible. Because when you say uh, the fear of the Lord... Or fear of God, it, it just sounds like you're supposed to be afraid and scared of God. Um, I actually remember I was talking to somebody one time about, you know, the Bible and God and Christianity and stuff. And they had gone to a Catholic school when they were a kid. And so they were very offended that we were just even talking about it. And he says, you know what? When I was a kid, the, the uh, nuns told me I had to fear God. And, and that's how I was going to have wisdom and move on in my life. And I can't just believe in a God that I'm supposed to be scared of the whole time. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's what it sounds like it's saying. And, and if you were in a school where every time you did any little thing wrong, you got whacked with a ruler. Um, if you were ruled by fear and that was an example to you of what, who God was, no wonder you don't want any part of that. But that's not what it means at all. It means having this deep, reverent respect for God's power and authority. Because look at it this way. If you have a, uh, when I was in junior high, I had a teach, I had two teachers actually. Ooh, it was a wake up call. Got to middle school when you're kind of a squirrely little, you know, little punk. And then you got some teachers, to, te- teachers that actually hold you accountable. Praise God for teachers. Um, so anyways, when you're in the class with them, no shenanigans. That's you're in class and you're squared away. You had this reverence for them as a teacher and what they brought to the table. Honestly, uh, two of the teachers that in my, if, if I reflect back on my life that I respect the most. So they had that. But then a substitute teacher comes in and you're like, who cares? They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. Um, what, what do I need to give them any respect for? Sorry, substitute teachers. You have the hard road. But my point is, is that. If your mindset about God is that he's an ever-present, everyday, uh, reverent figure that's going to hold you accountable and try to teach you good things, then you have the fear of the Lord. But if your everyday experience with God is one that's transient and back and forth and they may show up one day and not be there the next, you have no, uh, no respect for what they're trying to present to you, then you don't have the fear of the Lord. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
That's, that's where we come to. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Once you realize the reverence and authority of God, then you can begin to gain knowledge in, in the world and in, and in the Lord. But a fool despised wisdom and instruction. Now, David was a leader of a kingdom, but you were a leader of your own little kingdom too. I mean, we think of David, the king of all Israel, and this big thing. We think that's not us, but you have your own little kingdom as well. You have your own little sphere of influence that you essentially rule over or have influence or say within, no matter how small it may be. I look at, uh, I'll give, I'll use me as an example, and then you can, as I'm doing this, you can think about all those little things in your life that compare to that, your own little kingdom that you rule over. So there's many different spheres of influence, many different things that you could say, I'm the leader of or I'm in charge of. Um, the first one is my family. I have a wife to take care of. I have to lead her in a certain way. I have to treat her in a certain way with respect and love. And um, clearly, in, in any circumstance, the leader that, that lords over and demands and is autocratic only gets the uh, amount of um, respect that you have to give them so they don't punish you. That's not good leadership. That's not even being a leader. So you can't do that to your family or anybody else. Um, I also have my kids that I have to lead. And we're speaking of fairly as opposed to equally. I cannot treat my kids equally. They're totally different people with totally different personalities. Um, my daughter, Olivia, she's 21 now, but her whole life, she has just been a spitfire. She is. Uh, she knows what she wants. She's always going to push through. If you, the, the worst thing you, well, not the worst thing. I guess it's a great thing is to tell her she can't do something because if you tell her this won't work or you can't do it, she's going to push even harder and she'll prove you wrong and she'll make it happen. I guess you could reverse psychology that if you wanted to, although she's too smart for that anyway. <laughs> always a leader, always pushing forward so hard to deal with because it, what you have to understand is those same traits that make a child difficult and hard to be around and hard to control are the same things that are going to make them excellent adults and leaders who influence everybody for the power of good. We, my wife and I always used to talk about if we can just keep her pointed in the right direction long enough, she's going to shoot off and just be this wonderful thing. So now the statue of limitations are over on this. So you can't, you know, get me in trouble. I just want to tell you, that spanking never worked for my daughter. Never. And I'll tell you the, the last time I spanked her, and don't shame me, everybody makes mistakes. I remember the last time I spanked her, I spanked her so hard my hand hurt. And she was not phased. She's like, Psh, I don't care. She'd always push back. Like she wasn't even going to give you the cursory win that you worked so hard to punish her. She's not going to do it. Um, and so that's when I realized this is not working for her. I have to lead her differently. I have to discipline her differently. So what we realized is what really worked with her was to just put her in a room by herself. Isolation, you know, no, no contact. And she would sit at the door and go, can I please come out of my room? We're like, nope. No, get back in there. The more you come out and talk to us, the longer it's going to be. Oh, it's so punishing. She was so just passionate about having things go her own way. Um, I remember times I'd be like, 
Say you're sorry. Just say the words. I don't care if you mean it. Just say it. Never. My son, on the other hand, who's currently, he's now, he's 18. He was completely the opposite. You just have to have a stern tone in your voice and he will turn from bad to good. Um, I was saying first service that I never spanked him once because you didn't have to. Just the threat of disapproval or punishment was enough to make him repent and turn around and go the other way. But he reminded me this morning that apparently I did spank him one time because he wouldn't eat his green beans. I've clearly blocked that from my mind. Uh, but in light of the other example, it's no no wonder why I can't remember. Uh, but I can't treat them equally. I have to treat them fairly, just like God treats us fairly and leads us fairly by not doing the same thing to each of us, but but growing us and teaching us and disciplining us in a way that we need so we can grow closer to God. Now, I'm also, I got promoted uh, this year, so I'm a captain at work. So I went from having a sphere of influence of me and two other people as just one crew to now I'm in charge of my crew, two other crews and the whole station. So now I have a lot of responsibility and I have a lot of different ways I have to treat people. Um, I worked a bunch of shifts this last week. And so when I'm on my own shift, I've got the best shift ever. I'll just tell you that my crew is the best crew, but my firefighter is 57 years old. Now don't get mad I'm just saying, like for a firefighter, that's super duper old. If you had a quarterback in the NFL and you said he was 50, 57 years old and I said he was old, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's forever. People get broken. The fact that he's lasted till he's 57 shows that he's just hardcore hard worker. But my driver is 65 years old. I'm like, what are you doing here, bro? You need to just retire. Why are you still here? But you can't stop these guys from working. Now, I hardly have to say a word to these guys. We could go run emergencies. They know exactly what they're doing. They don't need me to lean in over their shoulder. I don't have to direct them all day. If anything, I have to stop them from working so we can do some normal stuff like eat dinner. I want to eat some dinner. I'm walking around the station looking for these guys. They're outside doing yard work. It's like they're racing the daylight. I'm like, it's eight o'clock at night, guys. Can we like, you know, cook up some fish sticks or something? Can we have some dinner, anything, chop up some salad? I can't stop them from working. But then this week also, I was working with another crew and everyone on the crew had less than five years on. In fact, three of them, I think, had less than two years and one of them was a rookie. Now, when I'm dealing with them and I'm working with, with them, I can't just let them go. I can't just let them do their thing. They need direction. They need somebody to tell them, hey, this is how we do this. This is how we do that. So I have to be kind of on top of them, uh, be a resource for them. They're asking questions. When we go on a call, I have to make sure they know what they're doing. I have all these circles of influence that I'm dealing with and, and, and different ways I have to treat people. And in your life, you can think of your, you have a job, you're an employee, you're a friend, uh, you, maybe you have a family, uh, whatever it is, you have this little sphere of influence that you need to rule over justly and with the fear of God. You need to bring those qualities to whatever you're doing in your life, even if it's just you. Proverbs three chapter twenty uh, Proverbs chapter three verse twenty seven. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due, when it is the power uh, 
when it is the power of your hand to do so. We need to be dealing with people in our lives. We need to be dealing with people in our church and everywhere justly and with an attitude that's uh, reverent and in awe of the power of God. That's how you should be behaving. That's how you should be leading in your sphere of influence, just like David. God created you for this work. Um, And this is what godly leaders do. No matter the size of your territory, this is what godly leaders do. It is not enough to simply do no wrong. We must actively and purposefully do right. Let me say that again. It is not enough simply to do no wrong. We must actively and purposefully do right. If you live like this, you will be a blessing to others, like the sunrise and a morning without clouds. Hallelujah. My second point is this. Your rebellion is worse than sticker bushes. Second Samuel chapter 23 verses 6 and 7. But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear as they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Basically, this is saying that rebellious people are like sticker bushes and you can't pull them out by your bare hands you, uh, or they'll tear you up. You have to metaphorically cut those people off uh, and burn the branches that are left. Now, I don't know about your experiences with sticker bushes, but these things are awful. They're awful. They look like they got a little bit of fruit on them. You want to get up there and pick these berries. It's a heck of a lot of work to find anything good on them, and they just tear you up every time you get close to them. But sin and rebellious people are both like these blackberry bushes. They grow quickly. They get out of hand fast. They wreck everything that is around them. They look like they'll have fruit on them, but all you really get is painful thorns. They hurt people. You must cut them off at the root before they take over your life. Um, I have a few stories about sticker bushes. One is not my current neighbor. My current neighbor is awesome, squared away. Yard looks great. My neighbor before that, who lived there before that, didn't pay a lot of attention to their yard. And so they had blackberry bushes in their backyard. And all year long, especially in the summer, these blackberry bushes would get out of control. And they would climb over the fence and through the fence and under the fence into my yard. They're not my blackberry bushes. I just want to take care of my lawn. I want to mow the weeds and I can't mow the weeds if I've got sticker bushes coming through my fence. My neighbor's sticker bushes were coming through my fence and wrecking my life. I mean, not really wrecking it, but certainly making it difficult to keep my stuff squared away. So I would cut the the sticker bushes off, you know, right at the fence line and and full disclosure, I would throw them back over. (laughs) They're they're his. Sometimes I would put them in my yard waste bin. But the reality is it seemed like coming in the next day, they would already be pushing through the thing, grabbing my socks, scraping my legs. It was terrible. They weren't even my bushes. I'm at work, and this may be surprising to some of you, but uh, a part of my duties at work as a firefighter is yard work. I don't even like to do my own yard much less this giant yard at a commercial building. But nonetheless, I think the yard work hadn't been done. Well, so the bushes, 
The, the grass gets mowed. The bushes are out of control. The blackberries are crawling all into the grass. You have to come out there with a, uh, uh, the weed whacker won't even, they just bend around a weed whacker. You got to go up there with some lompers and do things the hard way. So there was all these bushes that I don't know when the last time they were maintained. So we took it upon ourselves to try to tighten up these, uh, ornamental bushes. Well, they get to the end and there are some blackberry bush, blackberry bushes coming out of these nice, beautiful bushes that one of the stalks must have been big as a 50 cent piece. It was ridiculous. I've never seen blackberry, uh, you know, branches that big before. So I had to get up there and I've got, you know, a shovel and I've got these lopper things and I've got this trimmer thing that couldn't even fit around it. And I'm trying to hack this thing down and I get all the branches hacked down. So now it's level with the good plants, but it's not good plants. It's just hiding it. The problem is, is I will never be able to get down to the roots of that blackberry bush without destroying the plants around it. It's been left alone too long and grown too big to take it out now. Now it's going to wreck everything. That's the nature of these blackberry bushes. They're destructive. These sinful, rebellious people, they're like that in your lives. So I'm saying, get rebellious people out of your life. Just get them out of your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Here's the thing, and you hear it all the time. I don't know if it's just new Christians who think this. Uh, maybe old Christians have learned. But the reality is, you can't pull people back from the brink. They will only pull you in. Uh, oh, you hear it all the time. It's kind of a cliche at this point where you say, Oh, I'm, I'm hanging out with sinners because I'm going to try to get them saved. But the reality is, if you go back to the friends that you've been hanging out with that are rebellious and contentious and living in sin, they will corrupt your good character. You will not be able to pull them out every time. It's just what happens. So don't be fooled into thinking that, uh, that you will, uh, I guess, uh, save their bad habits. They're going to corrupt your good habits. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the company of fools will be destroyed. So or if you're keeping comp, or, or, but the companion of the fools will be destroyed. So if you're a companion of fools, if you're a companion of someone who does foolish things and doesn't fear the Lord and wants to be rebellious and contentious, they're going to destroy you. That's what the Bible says. Now, rebellion can look different than other kind of sins because it's sneaky and not quite so obvious. Now, honestly, all sin is a sin that you, uh, that is an act of the will. Like, you knew what you were doing, and you did it. Now, maybe you could say, like, before you were saved or early on when you were saved, there was uh, things that are sins that you didn't really know they were sins at the time. And then when you found it out, you just stopped doing it. You said, no, 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 I can't do that anymore. I don't want to do that. But pride and rebellion is this sneaky kind of sin that kind of slips in there and makes you feel justified, like you're doing the right thing. I mean, when you're doing other sins, you know they're sins. But this is the kind that sneaks in and they could really start to grow in you and start to take you down. Uh, it's willful. It's rooted in pride. And pride is rooted in self-worship. And that's the opposite of the fear of God. Because when you start believing that you're right about everything and you can't take wisdom or advice from other people, that's basically self-worship. God has nothing to offer you anymore. 
You know it all already? No. When, sh- when someone has chosen to rebel against God and his people, you won't get them back with rational talk. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Eventually, they will ensnare you with their thorns. Now, there was one person first service. I don't know if there's anybody watching today that, you know, just happened to show up when a car is driven right off the road into a bunch of sticker bushes. Yeah, it's happened to me uh, a few times. You may go in to try to rescue them out of their car, but those sticker bushes are going to tear you apart. Every time you may have all your bunker gear on and think you're going to be protected. Those sticker bushes will find you, your neck, your wrists. You cannot escape it. Someone may have driven into destruction. If you try to go in after them, they're going to tear you up. You know what you can do? You can pray for them. You can be there ready for them when they come back in repentance. But you're not going to pull them back from destruction. The Holy Spirit will. So just be ready for them to receive them with open arms and forgiveness when they come back. Amen? Now, get your own sin and rebellion out of your own life. That's a, that's a place you probably should be focusing on. Haggai 1, uh, 1, chapter 1, verse 5. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. You really have to do some self-reflection about where you're at sometimes. If the sin of rebellion and pride sneak into your life, you're probably not going to see it until you do a little personal inventory and try to take some reflection and consider the ways of, of what you're doing. Are you hanging out with fools? Are you rejecting wisdom or what? Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Which, which doesn't mean as to whether you're saved or not. It's saying examine yourself to whether you are walking according to the laws of God. If you are walking out this Christian walk faithfully. Examine yourself to see if that's what you're actually doing. It says test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Paul's basically saying... Take a moment to see whether or not you are living out the Christian principles that you say you believe. He's saying, test yourselves uh, because Jesus Christ lives in you unless he doesn't. (laughs) So figure that out. Does he or does he not live inside of you? Are you or are you not living according to the Christian principles of the Bible? Or are you being rebellious and prideful? You have to actively dig out the roots of your sin or it will just grow back. So, a righteous life makes you like sunshine, which we clearly love. And a rebellious life makes you like a sticker bush, which we do not love. Psalms 1, verses 1 through 6. It's one of my dad's favorite um, Bible verses, actually. Actually, side note, I noticed today, looking in my Bible, that my dad gave me this Bible 30 years ago. 30 years and one month when I was 16 years old. I know. It's looking at legacy, talking about David and his legacy and where he's come from. And I see that in the Bible is kind of cool. Thinking about 30 years ago, myself, where I was at 16 and then now being where I'm at 46 and how old my dad was when he, you know, tried to lead his family and give me a Bible. And now I'm sitting here 30 years later preaching out of it. Take that one, put it in my pocket. Okay, Psalms number one, verses one through six. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And in, um, and in his laws, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that, um, that bring forth its fruit in, in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the ungodly shall perish. You could use that verse to test yourself. He says, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Are you walking in the counsel of the ungodly? Are your friends acting in an ungodly, rebellious way? And are they, are you learning from them and taking counsel from them? Are you sitting in the seat with uh, um, uh, scornful people who cause uh, derision among you? No, you don't want to do those things. Or do you delight in the law of the Lord? And meditate, it on, meditate on it day and night. You can use the filter of scripture to evaluate yourself and test yourself to see if you're actually going in the ways of the Lord like you want to be. My third point is this. God made you a promise and he intends to keep it. Second Samuel 23 verse 5. David says, although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? Now David is admitting here um, that his kingdom and leadership have not always been carried out with justice and the fear of God. He's kind of reflecting on his life and his mistakes. Um, The verse right before this is the one where he says a leader should act uh, with justice and the fear of God and he will be like sunshine and beautiful grass and then, and then he says, although my house is not so with God. So he's having this honest moment where he realizes he has not always done the right things. But now at the end of his uh, reign, he's looking back on his life and recognizing that he's made mistakes. And, um, but God has given him a promise. God has promised David um, that he will have a legacy and an everlasting kingdom. Looking at this Bible, I think of my father and my father led his father to Christ. My father had a heavy hand in leading his sons to Christ. I'm sitting here with a Bible that's 30 years old that my dad gave me. Now I'm preaching from, I mean, wouldn't he just be so proud of that legacy and what God had promised him? And David is sitting here with a promise, even though he has failed and come up short in his life, God's given him a promise of an everlasting kingdom. And this culminates in the Savior Jesus Christ being born in the line of David, is what we read in the Bible. Let's look at Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, who I removed from um, before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So the prophet Nathan is basically telling David that your kingdom will be established forever. Jesus is a descendant from King David himself. He came to earth. He established a righteous kingdom, died, or well, he came to earth and he died and for, for the forgiveness of our sins, rose again. He's alive now and his kingdom reigns forever, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. 
The kingdom is lasting forever because of Jesus Christ. That is a promise fulfilled in Christ that God gave to David through the prophet Nathan. But there's another part of this that I thought was interesting that he said. He said, my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Now, when we look at King Saul was the king before David. Saul was the first king of Israel. The people said, hey, we want a king. Um, Samuel said, no, you don't want a king. He said, yeah, you have God as your king. They said, yes, we want a king. So they got a king, and it was King Saul. And he starts off, as you can see in the beginning of 1 Samuel, that he's kind of humble. He kind of doesn't really uh, believe that he could be the chosen one to be the king, you know. And, and he kind of is uh, paying attention to the prophets, and he honors God. But somewhere along the way, he lost his way. So what were the sins of Saul that got this whole thing taken from him? The, they were the sins that, that, that caused uh, the removal of him as the king, pridefulness and rebellion. He thought he knew better than God, and in fear of losing power, he ended up attacking his own people. I mean, you remember, you can go back and look in First Samuel. He starts out as the king, then he gets a little bit too big for his britches, then he stops walking in the will of the king, because... Um, in the will of the Lord as king, because uh, the, the Lord says that David's going to be the next king. So he gets all offended and angry and starts putting a squash to all of it. He's killing. Remember that time he killed like 70 priests because they had helped David? They didn't even know what they were doing was wrong. He did awful and terrible things because his pride got to him and he rebelled against God. So he was removed you know, it's funny because, and maybe, I don't know, it might be just being Christian, but it must just be in Christian circles. But that is kind of like a, you know, when somebody calls you a King Saul, that's what they're talking about. You're a prideful, self-serving, rebellious leader. You're a King Saul. If somebody calls you a King Saul, that's bad. You better do a little personal inventory at that point and figure out what you're doing wrong. But David wasn't perfect, but he was humble and he had fear and reverence of the Lord. And he always came back to repentance. When God told David, his throne should be established forever. It's King Jesus. He was talking about God has a promise of salvation for you too. That comes from King Jesus. You haven't led a perfect life, but there is redemption through Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what all of the history of God's people has been about. Redemption through Jesus Christ. First John chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is what David had going for him. You can read through first and second Samuel and see all the mistakes David made, some really big, some really small, some prideful, some rebellious, some egregious, some self-serving. But David always came back to repentance. He never lost faith in God and his word. He always got corrected again and came back. That's the difference between being a Saul and being a David. Saul chose to stay rebellious and, rebe and uh, reject God David chose to uh, repent of his sins and come back. Now, you could talk to many, many people. I think there's only one person that I've heard actually say out loud that they didn't believe they had any sin at all. They have nothing to ask for forgiveness for. They've never sinned. But I think even if you talk to non people who non-believers, people of other religions, that everyone would recognize that they've made mistakes in their life. They've done wrong things. They've done bad things. They've hurt people. We all have, but we can have forgiveness of those things through Jesus Christ.
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. That's what we're talking about. You can't save yourself, but Jesus Christ can save you. It's a gift, but you have to receive the gift. This morning I want to say to you this. If you are rebellious, you need to come back to repentance. If you're being rebellious right now, you need to repent and come back to the Lord. But if you don't know the Lord, you need to know him today. You need to give your life to him today. So that's what I want to give you the opportunity to do today is give your life to the Lord. Now, you've sinned and you've done wrong things. And like the Bible says, you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to have the Holy Savior forgive you of those wrong things that you've done. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ can forgive you. You have to accept that you've got done wrong. And you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior that can take that sin away from you and make you clean again. You have to confess your sins and accept uh, forgiveness for those things and be made clean before the Lord and serve him. You have to turn away from your wicked ways and live a new life, live a, a, a reverent life to the Lord. So if that's you today, you're sitting there watching or you're in the sound of my voice or whatever, this moment is for you. No matter how you've made it to this moment, this moment is for you right now. That if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ before, now is your moment that you can do that. You believe that he's your Lord and Savior. You want him to take away your sins. You want to turn away from your wicked, prideful, rebellious ways and come to the Savior. Now is your moment. So if this is the first time ever that you've ever given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to do it now, I want you to confess those things to him now. I want you to cry out to him now. I want you to speak to him now. And tell him you want him to be your Lord and Savior. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Heavenly Father and the God and King. Say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and take them away from me. Lord God, give me the strength to live a life honoring and pleasing to you. Love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. If that was you and you prayed that prayer today, please uh, contact us. Let us know, man, because we want to be your family. We want to support you in your journey. We want to encourage you and congratulate you for this step in your life. We want to get you a Bible, man. Get you a Bible, read your Bible, and uh, know what God says about your journey of life. Um, so uh, I want to close in prayer one more time. Uh, remember, get on the app. I want you to see those things. Sign up for prayer uh, uh, in September. Get ready for uh, service again next week. So let's close in prayer. Lord God, I love you so much. I thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for giving us this time from you. Uh, Lord God, um, fill our hearts uh, with encouragement that we could walk out the ways you have us and the journey you have for us, Lord God, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to church um, this morning. We love you and can't wait to see you again.